we have all the arguments on our side. You know, all the arguments from science, from, from, from ethics, just human, using human reason, from sociology, psychology, history, it's all on our side in defense of life. So we need to make the purely rational and the purely scientific arguments as we speak to the general public. Dear Jane, the Life-Giving Podcast. On this episode of Dear Jane, we visit with one of the leaders of the pro-life movement, Father Frank Pavone. Father Frank has not been shy about his pro-life passions, and it has cost him a lot. Recently, the Catholic Church defrocked him for the way in which he has protested abortion. Even with that decision, which he hopes is overturned, Father Frank continues to be passionately pro-life. He's the leader of Priests for Life, and we're happy he's joining us today. Father Frank, I suppose it's still okay to call you Father? From the point of view of Catholic teaching, uh, one is always a priest, once ordained. You know, if one, when, when the time comes that they reinstate me, they're not going to have to reordain me because right now, if I said a mass, it's a real mass and it, it actually becomes the Eucharist and, uh, and so forth. And uh, the Catholics understand and have a sense of that already. Um, and then even in the across the body of Christ, in all other denominations, uh, people have said, listen, you're always going to be Father Frank. And the reason they say that, of course, is because it's 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 about a relationship. It's not about just a, a juridical thing. Uh, the relationship that I've been privileged to foster for the last three decades of pro-life working and traveling and broadcasting like we're doing now and all this, this great work uh, has developed a beautiful relationships that perdure and, uh, and, and relationships in the Lord and in this movement. So, yeah, and not only that, but, you know, final point, not to spend too much time on this, but the, um, the fact that this movement is uh, so interdenominational means that really for all these years, um, I have been used to people calling me by different titles because, you know, some of our uh, Christian brothers and sisters prefer not to use the title father. And, uh, you know, they'll say Pastor Frank or Reverend Frank or or just Frank. So uh, praise the Lord. It, it, it all has a it all has a uh, a meaning. Well, I appreciate you uh, bringing up the topic of other denominations, and I want to talk about that here in just a little bit, uh, specifically how we can increase the engagement of other denominations. But we'll we'll get to that in just a second. First, let, let's catch up with you. Since the church took its action against you, yes. everyone who knows you knows that you have committed your life to the pro-life cause. Right. Um, since the church took the action, how has that changed your life, if at all? Very, very much less than people might imagine, because, you know, most priests, if they were told they couldn't be priests anymore, it would mean essentially that they lost their job, uh, lost their salary, lost their home, their staff, you know, and their, 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 their whole livelihood. None of those is true for me, because uh, my job, of course, National Director of Priests for Life, is intact, because our organization has its own board. Uh, that board is behind me 100%, and all our team and all our staff are. And therefore, 
they they're saying we're 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 continuing on. We're continuing on in the same way. Financially, we're independent of the bishops and of the Vatican, and so our donors have continued to support us, and and uh, and 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 all of that is stable as well. So, and the work, of course, continues. And interestingly, most of the work I do doesn't require priestly and sacramental functions. If I were, for example, a, a chaplain, and I was spending you know most of the day saying mass here in confessions, you know, anointing the sick or whatever it might be, well, that would be very, very different then. It would cause a very big change to me not be able to do the sacraments anymore. However, my work is the kind of work you and I are doing right now, broadcasting, teaching, presenting, strategizing, meeting with leaders, praying in front of abortion facilities, uh, whatever the case may be. And all of that I can still continue to do. So, they, I mean, it's not to say it's not a big deal, but at the other, on the other hand, and I, and I am knocking at the door, asking the church to um, reinstate and 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 uh, re- resolve this this matter. Um, but in the meantime, I'm doing the very work that God called me to do for the last thirty years. Well, and then that leads me to my next question: as as folks have followed you and sort of watched your career, you have, as we mentioned, you've given your life to the pro-life cause and you've sacrificed a lot. So that leads to the question, why? I experienced, I would call it alarms going off in my mind when I was in high school and first confronted this issue. And it was a pleasant confrontation. I didn't have any uh, direct interaction with abortion in my life or anybody that I I was uh, connected with. However, I went to the March for Life in Washington in 1976. It was the third annual March for Life because Roe v. Wade was uh, 1973. Wow, it was just one of those experiences where you wake up to something new and say, wow, this this movement is big, it's diverse, it's important, uh, this issue is important. And the more I learned about abortion, the more alarmed I became. It was clear to me that it was the biggest violation of human rights happening in our day. So that has been the why. In other words, that at any age of history, there is something that defines the age. There is an overriding issue that morally and spiritually calls people forth to to make things right. And in our day, it's the killing of children by abortion. Uh, That is worth every sacrifice. It really goes to the bedrock principle that on which America rests and on which civilization rests, and in many ways on which the gospel rests. And that is, uh, in terms of the gospel, Christ has come to bring us life, to destroy life is a slap in the face to God. And it's just, it just goes right to the heart of who God is when we realize he is life and he wants to give us life. And as far as America and Western civilization are concerned, if we don't have the right to life, and if government can't protect that right, well, then what else do we have and what else is government going to protect? Everything else depends on that. So this is why it's worth every sacrifice that we can make to defend this basic right, and to defend these most vulnerable people. Have you ever thought, you know what, this is too much. It costs me too much. It's too difficult. I can still believe what I want to believe, but I need to back off a little bit. Have you ever had thoughts like that? No, I've always felt that I I haven't been uh, 
giving enough that I want to give more. Uh, it, it, it really is, you know, and, and, and I came to this point uh, little by little, step by step, as I got more involved in the movement, got more feedback from people, experienced the joy of being able to save lives from abortion and, and, and change minds and hearts. I, oh, I've always felt, no, I want to do more. I want to give more. So, uh, and that has been every day. I, I, I'm blessed with having each day the energy and the enthusiasm and the joy and the peace of mind in doing this work as I had from the very first day. And, and it's something that I can honestly say has not wavered or diminished at all. Let's talk a little bit about how we communicate. And as you mentioned, this is really something that you do quite a bit, how we communicate as a movement with the general public. Um, yes. or, 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 you know, let's just say those aren't who aren't in it every day like you and I are. Right. You know, so I think one of the things that has been said about you is you're you're aggressive. Can, can we be too aggressive? Can we, as we communicate with, I want to say those on the fence, although I don't know if there's anybody on the fence. Um, I think that there are people who this issue is maybe not nearly as important to them as it is to you and I. But as we, we talk to people, uh, especially younger folks, is there, what do we do well as a movement? What do we not do so well as a movement? We always have to show the four words that God says to us, I am with you. This is a matter of presence, concern, love leads to life. And we've got to show people that we are with them and that we are on their side. This is expressed in many different ways. You know, within the church, we talk about it as accompaniment. We accompany everybody in whatever journey they're on, whatever struggles they have, whatever needs they have. Um, the teaching of scripture we see in the parable of the Good Samaritan, who is our neighbor? Well, it's the one who's in need, the one who falls in with the robbers. That's your neighbor. It doesn't matter if it's a stranger. It doesn't matter if you don't know his name. Uh, and, and we think the same thing about these, these babies. It's like, Okay, on um, in one in one sense they are not my my children. In another sense, they're they are they're our brothers and sisters. All of us are connected in that way. So presence, compassion, we have to communicate to people. And I train clergy on how to preach about abortion. I say to them, you know, you start by saying to people, we are with you. If you're tempted to have an abortion, we are with you. We're going to provide you better alternatives. We know how difficult your circumstances can be. We're not here to judge you. We're not here to reject you. If you've had an abortion already, we are with you. We're not going to condemn you. We're going to bring you to the peace, the forgiveness that God himself wants to give. So communicating that message is key. That's what has to permeate everything we say and do about abortion, this, this, this sense that uh, a sense of solidarity, to use another term that can describe what I'm, what I'm saying. Once we have done that, a lot of people who, as you say, are just, you know, they're not, they're not really familiar with the movement. They're not really involved in the movement. And they may be ambivalent about this issue. A lot of people then are going to be less defensive when they, you know, because when they see somebody coming along who's like, oh, this is an anti-abortion activist, you know, it, 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 the defenses go up right away. 
And when we they when they see that we're we're not a negative, that we're not uh, harsh, that we're not judgmental, then their ears open up, you know, and their mind and heart opens up. Okay, what's the rest of the message? Because they already said they're willing to help me. They're on my side. They're not condemning me. So what's the rest of the message? And of course, the rest of the message is well, we've got to protect these babies. We got to protect them by by providing help to their moms and dads. Uh, the pregnancy center movement is a great not only a great part of our movement, but an important part of the communication, like you're asking me now, of how how do we appeal to society? Show them that the bulk of the time and the resources of our movement are precisely helping those who who need an alternative to abortion. And we have to help, help these children not only by doing that, but their rights have to be secured in law. And that's where when it enters into the the civil rights dimension of this and the legal dimension. And we recognize there's a fight uh, on our hands. And that's where, you know, the, the aggressive part has to come in where we're not, we're not going to back down uh, when, when, when people come at us and say, oh, no, 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 abortion is a right and we're going to keep it legal. And, and in fact, they end up attacking us and attacking even these pregnancy centers that are providing help a day and night. We've got to know how to how to fight against those uh, those evil forces? Uh, the the aggressiveness with which we do that, and the way that we challenge uh, those who are spreading lies about who this baby is, spreading lies about what abortion is. They they they're presenting it as some kind of harmless magic wand, mm-hmm. which it's not. It's a destructive and dangerous procedure. Uh, that's where really the full force of our efforts have to come in. We see this in the Gospels. Sometimes Jesus is the, you know, the tender uh, savior who is who is is uh, is is blessing and putting his hands on uh, the heads of of uh, repentant sinners and embracing them with his love. And other times he's saying, "Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you you hypocrites!" So the, there's the whole range of reactions depending mm-hmm. on the circumstance, depending on the audience, depending on what needs to be done at that moment. I find myself conflicted because I do believe that we have gotten away from um, helping people understand the horrors of abortion. Um, you know, we we have we have argued on their turf about well, it's healthcare or it's you know it's this. We we argue on their terms, and so I'm conflicted in that sense. But then sometimes whether whether it's the March for Life or or, or whatever you, you know you go there and you see some of the pictures and things like that and I think oof that might be a little too much so I myself am conflicted I don't know the answer on, on how to communicate with folks but I know it's important that we do help people to understand the horrors of abortion you know in Minnesota there was uh you know as they were changing their law earlier this year um there was an actually a lawmaker who said, it's more it's phys, it's more physically dangerous to carry a pregnancy to term than to have an abortion. Well, that's nonsense. I mean, that's just nonsense. That, that's yeah. crazy. And so clearly, we have to do a better job. Uh, I, I just I'm I'm always wondering and probing on what's the best way to do that. There has to be a, a certain freedom here uh, in in our own minds and hearts, and and as we interact with one, one another in the movement, because some uh, groups will try to uh, groups and individuals will try to resolve that 
that ambivalence and that conflict we find in ourselves as we evaluate methods by simply landing in one place or another and saying, well, this is the, this is the formula. This is the, the, the silver bullet. This is the way we have to do things all the time. And the reality is, no, we don't know what's going to move any given person. So like you say, at the March for Life, you know, there are certain groups holding the, the signs or showing the videos that are really, really disturbing because they show what an abortion is. How is that going to impact the people in the crowd? The answer to that is going to be as different as the number of people in the crowd. And, and many, many people, when they see those images and they are jolted by them, nevertheless are grateful and, in fact, are energized by it. And some are awakened to a higher level of, of, of activism. We have a whole section of our website, uh, lookatabortion.org is the uh, the address of it. And it is the most visited section of our site because it's the site that actually shows people what abortion looks like. We have had over the years so many responses to that from people who say either, number one, uh, I was actually scheduled to have an abortion. I saw these pictures and that's what changed my mind. And I've seen that happen also out in front of the abortion facilities when I've been holding signs at times of showing the aborted baby and it stopped people in their tracks. And they and they didn't have the abortion. Um, number two, the other kind of reaction is, you know, I was pro-choice, and they'll literally say this. This is literally say I was pro-choice up until a few minutes ago, when I saw hmm. these pictures. So there's a conversion of mind. And then the third thing that that happens is people who are already pro-life, and they look at these pictures and they say, you know what. I'm not doing enough about this. I, I need to do more. I need to speak up louder. I will never be silent again. So they're quietly pro-life, but seeing these images activates them. We did a survey of pro-life pro activists uh, some years back, leaders, local leaders, national leaders. And we asked them, what got you involved in, um, in, in pro-life activism? What was the spark? And uh, a very, very, very large portion of them, a majority of them, said um, it was seeing the uh, seeing the pictures of what an abortion mm. actually does to a baby. So this is a very, very important element uh, of our of our strategies. That doesn't mean in every place at every time. You know, yeah. I mean, I've preached in in churches in all fifty states. Uh, I, I've never in the midst of a of a sermon. Uh, it showed a picture of, of this, but you show these pictures online, you show them at certain demonstrations, you know, you warn people what's coming. I've shown them in different presentations. Uh, you warn people, and if they want to look away, they they have the freedom to look away. But then again, when you tell them, oh, look, you don't have to look at this, look away if you want. Actually, that often has the opposite effect. They want right. to see more. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that helps a lot. I mean, that's that's a good good explanation. And now that uh, that brings up, I guess maybe we'll have a Scott Baker therapy session now because I'm going to bring up other things I'm conflicted about. And you, yes. we can we can talk through these. So I'm a man of faith, just as you are. I'm I have a Baptist background, but one of my concerns is, and and I see this now in states like Missouri and Ohio, some of these states where they're going to be having um, some constitutional amendment fights. Um, the other side is trying to make this a religious debate, basically saying, don't force your religion on me, is what they, and you've heard that plenty, I'm sure, as far as uh, that's, that they, they try to boil down the abortion debate to religious debate. And my concern is there are those, again, who, let's go back to those who might be ambivalent, 
who will say, you know what, I'm not sure I care too much about the abortion, but I sure don't want your your religion forced upon me. How do we, as faith people of faith, make this not about religion and what it actually is saving the life of a person? Or, or should we even worry about that? Yeah, this is a very important question because uh, the, the abortionists and the abortion advocates are very often um, abusing religion and faith so that they can get away with murder, literally. Uh, and, and what they do, for, let me illustrate it by a conversation I had with a, with a, a late-term abortionist. Uh, and, and it was Martin Haskell, actually, who, who wrote the medical paper uh, that brought about the controversy in the mid-90s over partial birth abortion. So this was the guy that was teaching others how to do that. And I talked to him. And I said, well, you know, this is obviously a child. Um, and he said to me, yes. He said, I acknowledge this is a child. The question I have is, when does the child receive a soul? So it was, it was fascinating because here I, a priest, was talking to a medical doctor about the medical procedure. Yeah. And the medical doctor was talking to the priest about souls. And, and I said to him, look, you don't know when the child receives a soul. So what? What difference does that make? It, 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 you don't know if a, if a newborn has a soul. Does that give you the right to kill the newborn? If you were ensure that I had a soul, that give you the right to kill me? So first, uh, we have to take away from the other side the 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 uh, the opportunity to use religion as a justification for killing, because that's what they try to do. They make it all relative. Oh, well, yeah, we have religious freedom. That's true enough. And then, and then they say, well, then therefore, if we don't believe in our religion that abortion is wrong, we can do it. But that's just as ridiculous as saying, hey, listen, when you read the Gospels or you read the, 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 the commandments in the Old Testament, you know, it says, thou shalt not uh, steal. Well, I choose not to believe in the Bible. I can be whatever religion I want. Therefore, I can steal. Well, wait a second. There's something else in the mix here besides religion. Not that religion overlooks this, but people may not overlook it, even if they're not religious. And that is that there are certain basic human rights, there are certain basic moral principles that have to go across the board in society and apply to the religious and the non-religious alike. And that is, for example, well, you have a right to your possessions. Because if you can go ahead and steal just in the on the basis of, oh, I don't acknowledge the Bible that says you shouldn't steal, you can't have a functioning society. That doesn't mean you have to acknowledge the Bible. Those that don't want to believe, they're missing out. But if they don't want to believe in it, they have a constitutional right not to. Um, but nevertheless, they can't steal. And, and, and this is where the arguments on abortion have to be addressed by us who are believers on both levels, human reason and divine revelation. God has spoken. He has given us his word. He has told us things that we can't possibly figure out on our own. And yet, if you just talk about what we can figure out on our own, yes, our reason has been weakened and darkened because of sin, but there are certain things that people can come to on the basis of human reason without invoking uh, either scripture or religion that's they can agree on. It says, yeah, you know, I guess it's uh, you can't have a functioning society if people are killing one another or stealing their possessions. We have all the arguments on our side, all the arguments from science, from 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 
ethics, just human, using human reason, from sociology, psychology, history, it's all on our side in defense of life. So we need to make the purely rational and the purely scientific arguments as we speak to the general public. At the same time, a whole lot of the general public are very religious. And so we've got to also appeal to their faith because some, some in the pro-life movement, they make the mistake of, you know, they'll say, well, this is, it's really not a religious issue, you know, in, in it, at its core, you can show that the baby is a baby just from science. Okay, true enough. Let's do that. But then they make the mistake of dismissing religion out of the argument altogether. But most of the American people have some kind of faith. We have to appeal to that faith because it can strengthen. It does strengthen what we know by reason. And it also strengthens something we were talking about earlier. The willingness to sacrifice for these babies. Where are we going to get the strength to endure the opposition of the enemy, to endure the, the, the hard work and the long labor that is needed to win this cause? Only from our faith, the grace of God, uh, the, the, the grace of Christ who went to the cross to save us, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit that was poured out on us after the resurrection. We need the faith, and we need to appeal to people of faith to get involved in this cause. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll talk with Father Frank about the decreasing willingness of pastors to address the subject of abortion. We'll do that on part two of our conversation with Father Frank Pavone here on Dear Jane. Dear Jane, the life-giving podcast. Are you ready to have your perspective challenged? Introducing Dear Jane, the pro-life podcast that breaks boundaries and brings people together for groundbreaking conversations about the sanctity of life. We're not afraid to tackle the tough stuff, to confront the controversial, and to explore the gray areas that often divide us. Dear Jane hosts the conversations you didn't know you needed to hear. Whether you're pro-life, pro-choice, or somewhere in between, this podcast is your invitation to step outside your comfort zone and join a movement of understanding, empathy, and transformation. On this edition of People You Should Know, we introduce you to Nikki Bees, the executive director of Biking for Babies, a ministry that raises funds for pregnancy centers across the country. Nikki says the idea began in 2009 with two college students, Mike Schaefer and Jimmy Becker. They learned about Living Alternatives, a local pregnancy resource center in the area in Illinois. They decided to use their physical gifts. They were triathletes and rode 600 miles in a zigzag across Illinois, and they raised $14,000 for Living Alternatives Pregnancy Resource Center. Nikki says volunteers used their time throughout the spring and summer helping to raise awareness and funds for pregnancy centers. So they prepare for months, partnered with a pregnancy resource center or maternity home, advocating by sharing their life-changing and life-saving stories, raising money for all of our centers. She says the big event is the annual national ride in July. It's filled with 600 to 800 miles across the country, witnessing with bright yellow jerseys on the road and our support crew talking to people at you know gas stations, evangelizing and, and sharing about these amazing centers that serve women in their most vulnerable moments. And last year we raised $261,000 for, for our pregnancy centers across the country. To date, Biking for Babies has raised over $1.2 million for life-affirming work. 
Um, the inspiration truly was, you know, just deepened every year as we've realized our our role in renewing the culture of life as an organization, not just a fun bike ride to raise money for a good cause, but truly a, a, a chance to bring these young adults in and witness to them and, and ensure that these young people know that their life is a gift so that they can then go and share that truth and beauty with the world. To participate or become a partner agency, visit bikingforbabies.com. Looking for a marketing agency that truly understands your pro-life mission? Choose Life Marketing is here for you. With our specialized services in web design, digital marketing, fundraising, and branding, we empower organizations like yours to affect life-saving change in your community. Together, we create a culture that values and protects life, one marketing message at a time. Join us in building a stronger community, one life at a time. Choose Life Marketing, where your mission matters. Dear Jane, the life-giving podcast. And we're back here on Dear Jane, visiting with the National Director of Priests for Life, Frank Pavone, and we have been talking about religion, the role of religion, um, how it can impact how we communicate the uh, issue of the, of abortion, and, and really as we uh, communicate as a pro-life movement. Father Frank, it seems to me, and I have no scientific proof to back this up, or no data, it just seems to me anecdotally that pastors, priests across the, the, the denominational divide seem less and less willing to take on this issue of abortion, to even talk about it. Why do you think that is? I agree with the assessment. I, I you know, we at the core of our ministry, we're trying to get the clergy to speak up more. And it seems that they're speaking up less. Part of it is, strangely and sadly, a lot of them are being told to shut up. Uh, now, being told by whom? Most sadly, some are being told by their, in, in the hierarchical churches like the Catholic Church, being told by their bishops. Uh, others are being told by whatever the equivalent is, you know, their, their religious uh, uh, um, uh, guides. And they're being told to keep quiet. I mean, I've seen letters from bishops to, to Catholic parishes, basically, uh, not just basically, but explicitly saying, don't preach about anything that's going to get the people angry. I, I don't think Jesus got that memo, you know. <laughs> I, I mean, that doesn't make any sense. It doesn't even make any sense. Uh, it, 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 don't preach about things that are going to be people angry. Come, give me a break. Or they're, or they're so concerned. we got religious leaders in, in various different uh, uh, denominations and, and religions who are so concerned about keeping folks together that it's like the cardinal sin for them is division. And yet Jesus said he came to bring division. God, Yes, we know that God and Jesus unite, unites us. Of course he does. He unites us, however, around the truth. He unites us in his grace. And there is an eternal division between truth and falsehood. There is an eternal division between grace and sin, between life and death, between heaven and hell. So you can't say, oh, well, we can't have any division anywhere. But that's ridiculous, too. There is division. There's always going to be division. What we have to be concerned about is that we're on the right side of that division. So 
this is one of the problems with, with clergy. A lot of them are being told, and really they feel, I mean, I've talked to many of my brother priests within the Catholic Church, inviting them to get more active, more vocal about, about this issue. And they say to me, hey, Frank, I'm with you. I'm with you. And, I, and they're sincere. But I'll get in trouble with my bishop if I do A, B, or C, or if I say D, E, or F. And, and that, that's just sad. Uh, the second thing that's going on, of course, the left has become very, very militant. Uh, I mean, more than ever before. I mean, just in recent recent years, uh, it, it has been an all-out uh, war like we've never seen before. And some are really just intimidated. They figure if they're going to speak out or they're going to be visible or they're going to be known, you know, as an activist in this arena, that they might they might even suffer physical attack. I mean, we've seen the churches attacked, pregnancy centers attacked after uh, uh, Roe v. Wade was reversed, and 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 just people mocked, excluded, canceled in various ways. Uh, speakers on campuses being being uh, uh, physically prevented from from being able to speak, and on and on it goes. And then and then people being punished in the workplace uh, for mm-hmm. their uh, for their uh, uh, outspoken um, stance. So. It's, this intimidation affects clergy just like it affects uh, everybody else. Uh, and then, of course, you've got uh, another phenomenon, which is government persecution. And my friend uh, Mark Houck, uh, for example, the man who uh, was peacefully praying in front of an abortion facility there in Philadelphia and ended up with FBI agents at his home with, with their guns drawn, you know, pointing at him and his family. Absolutely a weaponization of government we are seeing in our day uh, in, in some very disturbing ways. So I think these are some of the factors that uh, are um, affecting pastors. So in the few moments that we have left, uh, as you think of the work of Priests for Life, uh, and I know that there's Silent No More, and you've got, you've got a, a host of, of ministries and, and efforts. Uh, as you consider those organizations, as you consider the movement in general now, uh, a year out of the Dobbs decision, where do we go from here and what should our priorities be as a movement? We have to, first of all, study the Dobbs decision. And 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 one of the emphases that we have uh, placed on our work over the last year has been to, in fact, before that, before the decision even came out in its final form, to educate people about this case. Because uh, we can't build on it unless we know it. We can't take the next steps unless we understand it. Uh, what did Dobbs do? What did it not do? It leveled the playing field is what it did. It didn't give the protection to the unborn. It made it easier for us to work uh, to to achieve that. Uh, And so what we have to do next is, in many ways, continue what we have been doing, but with more confidence. What I mean is, in the absence of a federal constitutional right to abortion, Our arguments, as we were saying before, from science, from ethics, from from the experience of people like these silent no more ladies and and men who have who have experienced abortion and speak out, uh, all of that has more of an impact now. Because before, people would just uh, shut down a lot of debate and discussion by simply invoking the constitutional right to abortion. And people feel like, oh, I don't want to speak out against something that's a constitutional right. Okay, But that's not there anymore. So now we keep doing what we have been doing, and that is making the case as to why these are real babies, abortion is real violence, it needs to be stopped. The other side, things have changed more for the other side than for us, because now the other side 
They have to make the case for abortion on its merits. They have to convince their fellow citizens, their legislators, why abortion's a good thing. And the fact of the matter is, there's no justification for it. They don't have any arguments. So that's why they keep trying to invoke a constitutional right. And if they've lost it on the federal le level, which they have, now that's why they're trying to insert it on the state level. They're trying to say, not the legislative process. That's what they're afraid of is the legislative process where you have to have hearings, where you call in witnesses, where there's, there's back and forth debate, where there's lobbying from the general public who can go in and visit with their legislators, where there are amendments. It's a whole process. They take as long as they need to take in order to let that process as, as flesh out. Instead, what the other side wants to do is bypass the legislative process by putting abortion rights into the constitutions of the states. Because if it's in the constitution, then you can't pass a law against it. You don't even have to debate the law. And they're afraid of that process. So instead, oh, let's just let's just invent a right on the state level that we used to have at the federal level because we invented that too. And, and this is what, what our priority has to be, making the case and engaging the legislative process and opposing the efforts of the other side to reassert the, 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 the fake dogma of Roe v. Wade, that there's a right to abortion. Because when Dobbs came down, and obliterated that Roe v. Wade decision and Planned Parenthood versus Casey decision. They used arguments there that apply now on the state level too. When they said there's no right to abortion in all of American history, that also means the history of Ohio and Michigan and Minnesota and California and New York and anywhere else that the pro-abortion people are going to try to keep abortion legal right through birth. Uh, that's uh, in a nutshell. We have um, SupremeCourtVictory.com is, is, is a website where people can learn uh, all about the Dobbs decision and how we build on it along the lines of what I'm uh, saying now. Dear Jane, the life-giving podcast. My thanks to Frank Pavone for joining us today on Dear Jane. I am grateful we have passionate people like Father Frank who tirelessly advocate on behalf of the unborn. We may not all agree on how to communicate the truth about abortion, but we must remain supportive of each other and lift each other up because our fight is not going to get any easier. Thank you for listening to Dear Jane. We are a production of the Choose Life Coalition. Our producer is Kate Yule. Our editor is Jacob McCormick. I'm Scott Baker. Don't forget to follow us or like us on your podcast platform of choice and tell your friends about us. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram. Just search Dear Jane Podcast.